And I think um, the first is asking yourself, okay, what do you actually want to do? What do you want to do? Because asking other people for, oh, what should I do? Or, or anything in general, when you ask other people in, the, in that sense, you will probably have made your first mistake because no one will know what you want. Remember, good advice is context specific. And you shouldn't be asking your parents, you shouldn't be asking your friends, you shouldn't be asking your counselors, professors, because the thing is, they want you to be successful, but they also don't want you to fail. And a lot of the things that you will do that will have a greater output will be risky and you may seem like you will fail. So that's why I don't ask for advice to like family, friends, advisors, because they always share the risks, but they don't always share the rewards. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast where you're gonna hear from thought leaders in a wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about. On this podcast, we'll give you hope for the future and introduce you to people who are paving the way for a better world for us all. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles. Since 2014, We've been publishing articles about all the insight and innovation going almost completely uncelebrated in the world. And along the way, I've been having these incredible conversations with thought leaders that we're sharing with you now. So today we're going to meet thought leader Juan David Campolargo. Don't forget that name. You will see more and more of Juan David's work as time rolls on. Juan David was a TEDx speaker at the age of 17. His TED Talk is called Inspiring the Next Generation to Be More Optimistic. This was a TEDx Durango talk. So if you want to look that up in the internet, we're going to have the link down in the show notes. Juan David's passion for optimism is what drives him to do all his speaking and writing. He has a wonderful blog. He does the most amazing videos. And I met Juan David about 18 months ago when we were both at a TEDx conference in Naperville, Illinois. So I could never begin to, to share all the, the story and the, and the passion that Juan David has revealed to me. But I will tell you this, that I only make time to read and drop into fully, fully immerse myself in about two blogs and one newsletter. <laughs> and Juan David's newsletter is that one. So I'm going to let Juan David introduce himself a lot better than I just did and share some of his story. And then we'll get started because there's a whole host of things that Juan David can share with us about his aspirations and what he thinks is possible. And I, I think it's about time we start hearing from his generation because they are the future and they will build it. So Juan David, welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Thank you very much, Dr. Linda. I mean, always, always great to talk to you and I really appreciate your support for the newsletter and the writing and anything I do. So that means a lot to introduce myself. So I am Juan David Campolargo. I was actually born and raised in the beautiful country of Venezuela. And because of all the crazy things that are going on over there, we were forced to move to the United States in my first year of high school. So about four years ago. So I started high school in the U.S. Of course, didn't know any English and a lot of crazy things happened. But there were always things inside of me that I would say are optimism you know, ambition and, and curiosity. And those three factors led my way to, like you said, you know, not knowing English all the way to giving something that only English speakers can do, which is a tech talk, right? And so now I'm here studying, um, I'm in college now, so I'm studying engineering and I'm doing all the things that um, I'm thinking a lot, writing a lot and, and doing things that could inspire people to not only be more optimistic, but also curiously ambitious. Well, I'll tell you, you impressed me from almost minute one in the TED Talk I saw you give at uh, TEDx Naperville. Okay, so Juan David, I, there's so many topics that you write about in your newsletter that are super diverse and uh, very interesting. And I, I want to just visit a few of them as we go here. And then, of course, you can expand in, on anything in any direction you like. So the first one, let's just to get us rolling here. In one of your newsletters, you talked about if you're interested in doing great work, whether you're a scientist, a writer, an entrepreneur, or doctor, 
or whatever you do, you need to read this essay by Richard Hamming. So this is one of the things that Juan David does so well, is he he really shares with us the things that he finds super useful. So tell us why this is your favorite essay and, and how, how it could improve other people's way of surviving and thriving. Great. Before I tell you that, let me tell you more about why I write a newsletter in general. Okay, um, yeah, that'd be great. Honestly, it, it, it would seem crazy because it takes some time to write something like that, and it could not be the best use of my time according to some people, but I think doing something like that, and I just wish I had an email, a weekly email from someone who was doing some really interesting things. And that's honestly why I'm doing it. And so far there's people from, you know, kids from like UK or India or just random people that I've never met. And you're seeing how that, you know, one random like word or essay can like change how they think. That's honestly why I do it. But back to the essay. So Richard Hamming, which was a scientist and mathematician at Bell Labs. He was a very interesting guy because his methodology and how he saw his career was working on important problems. He says that if you don't work on important problems, you're not going to do important work. And that's pretty, okay. I mean, you say that, oh, that's pretty simple, right? But that's something that people don't ask themselves. In the essay, he shared his story of how he would always sit, sit with people in different tables, like the physics table, the math table, the chemistry table. So one day, he, oh, he would always eat with the physics table because, according to him, that was the most interesting people. Then all of them got Nobel prices, so all, they all left. Then he went to the chemistry table. And then in there, he found this guy who was working on something, but he wasn't really doing much, or he wasn't publishing a lot of papers or so on. And then, so he asked him, do you think you're working on, some, on, on an important problem? And the guy wasn't sure what to say. Then having told him this quote, if you don't work on important problems, you're not going to do important work. And then, so after that, the guy got really mad. But after three months, he comes back to him and, and says, you know, I really thought about what are the important problems in chemistry. And it actually shifted my focus on the research. After a year, he was even promoting, he after like five years, he was like the president of the chemistry association or something like that. So, and that is simple story talks about the importance of number one, being really intentional about what you're doing. Because one of the things that he says is that people think that doing great work is about luck, about randomness. But in reality, sure, that plays a lot, a huge role. You know, we like to believe in this idea of the meritocracy of things. You know, we believe in merit and if you work hard, you'll be successful. But the thing is, we should believe that it's true. And, you know, we should believe that it's true. But oftentimes, there's a lot of, a lot of luck and randomness that actually believing that, you know, we, we, you know, we live in this idea of the, of the meritocracy. If you work hard, you'll be successful. You'll actually be better off than just believing that, oh, everything is luck or whatever. Because that is somewhat true. But I still believe, I still think you should believe that everything is in your control. And you should still believe that everything is all about to you. And then the last idea of this essay is that, you know, it's not only about luck and that you should prepare yourself to do important work, but also about the importance of knowing how to speak and now knowing how to write clearly, because you can be so smart. You can be the greatest scientist, the greatest doctor, the greatest whatever. But if you don't know how to write clearly and speak clearly and explain your ideas clearly in a way that people want to hear them, you won't be able to do the so-called important work. Lastly, this essay is so important and so meaningful to, to me that I read it every single week. Just as a reminder to myself. And every time I read it, I just find different things and different things that speak to me. So That's so lovely. And, you know, I think it's so relevant to exactly the stage that you are in life. And then it doesn't take much of a leap to say, wait, <laughs> it's exactly important to what stage I'm at and what stage Brittany, our producer, is at. I mean, we need to do work that matters. And whether that's parenting or teaching or inventing or millions of different kinds of work there are in the world, I, I think is what you're saying now, just to have clarity, is what you're saying is you need to believe that you're doing important work first before you can actually do what you need to do to make it important? Right. I mean, something that, that is important to clarify, right, is that when he was working on this, you know, working on, on the physics equations and doing like really like great work. He wasn't working on, you know, because, you know, important 
can mean many different things. He wasn't working on twin trouble. He wasn't working on black holes because sure, those could be important. But what he says is that important problems are the problems that you can actually do something about it, no matter how, how great or how, how small. So important problems is something that you can actually have an attack on. That's what he means by important problem. And then the main idea is that you should find those problems and either write them down or just have them in your mind. So when you have, you find or see an attack on them, then you actually do something about it. Richard Feynman, which is which I know the prize physicist, one of the greatest you know scientists of the last century, I he had an idea of called the, my twelve favorite problems. In his case, it was about physics, you know, how this wave or how this molecule, or whatever. But we can actually apply this to our life. So, for example, one of the things that I have in my twelve favorite problems is is how can I inspire young people to be more optimistic and curiously ambitious, right? And I have a lot, you know, and I have those written down and some, it's a reminder to myself that those are sort of my focus, right? So I have 12 important problems that I'm thinking about. And like I said, that's one of them. Lovely. <laughs> that is such a great way to think about how we spend our time day to day. Okay, I can't go, I can't be here and not ask you about how how you decided to handle the whole pressure of social media and all that our phones and, and that our digital lives, our online lives, are uh, the impact they're having on our way of thinking. I'll share one quick story with you. I have a 17-year-old, 18-year-old niece, and I was back in Illinois where, where you're at recently. And we were talking about conspiracy theories at dinner. And she said, and we talked about this conspiracy theory that the, the vaccination is putting a little chip inside us that might control us, you know? And she just plain as day picks up her phone and she says, there is already a chip that's controlling most of us. So tell us how you're navigating your online life to make more intention about what you spend your time doing. Right. So I think um, the, the, best thing instead of like, oh, I'm going to try to be productive and I'm not going to use my phone. I think, sure, that's important. But I think when you have something that you actually want to do, or you have those important problems that I mentioned before, then not being on your phone will be easy. I'm not saying it will be super easy, but it will be, quote unquote, easier, right? Because you're doing something that you actually want to do. So like any technology, there are going to be great advantages and disadvantages. That's just totally normal. And I don't think we understand enough the long-term effects of having a super powerful supercomputer in our pockets all the time, but also having these super massive companies that are trying to get our attention and, and hooked in the, the social media things. So I don't think we understand the long-term effects of that. And that's why we should be careful. But um, I am very careful with social media and, and, and in my phone because that could either lead to, to either way. Either you become a really you know, interesting person who reads a lot and uses the do the technology and the phones and everything else to help you, or you use it to you know, to harm yourself, right? So about three years ago, I read this article about how to turn your phone to work for you. Super interesting article that basically I set up my phone and my devices to work for me. How? By turning off the notifications. By the colors, you know, when you open your phone, it's super colorful, super like, you know, it's like a candy thing. You have to like pick it and grab it. Black and white, all notifications are no sounds whatsoever. And then no email. I have any email or social media apps on my phone to the point where my phone is actually boring. You know, my friends tell me, oh, it's a boring phone. And I actually want my phone to be boring because I don't want to be on my phone all the time. And that's that. And then, of course, it doesn't mean you're going to be like, you're not going to have like fun or anything. Just I just use when I want to like open social media or anything else, I just have to go to the app store, download it, and I just check it out, see what I have to see and close and uh, uninstall the app. And then the last thing is it's simply understanding where you are in the like in the equation, right? So there was this professor from Stanford that he only checks emails twice a day, morning and in the evening. And that's sort of what I try to do, which is basically because he says, I'm not trying to be on top of things. He's not, he, he doesn't, he doesn't need to check social media or, or everything being on top of, of the news and everything else, because that's not what he does. And I think I would argue that for most people, listening to his podcast is that we don't need to be on top of most things. 
We don't need to know what's going on on Twitter. We don't need to know what's going on in X part of the world. And we actually need to be on bottom of things. So in this, in this, in this example of the, of the scientist, there was a guy who needed to think deeply about his research. And to think deeply, you need a lot of time of focused work. And I think when we're able to have this deep and think deeply about the world and about our, our work, then that's when we, again, that's when we are able to do, quote unquote, important work. That's, I love that, that, that little flipping that on its head. You're, you're actually have to be, you're better off being on the bottom of some things. I, I really like that. Meaning that you've got all this knowledge on top that you can pick and choose from. You don't have to be keeping up on social media and all that. Talk about time black holes. <laughs> okay. So when we, when we're here in our conversation, I think we should, we should talk about this networking. You're very, you told me before we started that you're very interested in, in thinking yourself a lot about the networking things that are going on in the world right now. Tell us more about what you're thinking. Yeah, you know, I have to be careful because people, you know, like to believe that ways are one way or the other, and I think we need to be more ambiguous in in some senses. So, with that in mind, just keep that in mind. So, one of the things that I've been seeing a lot and been noticing lately is that a lot of people, their purpose of making friends is because of networking. Why do people network? Because they want something in the future from them. And the thing is, when you have that idea in your mind, your relationships, how you talk to people will be dull, will be selfish, and you want to be a human. You're just being a, like I said in my in, in, in the essay, you'll be just a nasty human, just nasty human, like selfish being. And I think um, if you actually, you know, counterintuitively, counterintuitively, if you actually want to get the networking effect that you want, which is you know, looking for a job and you have this friend who works in this company, so I can call him up, hey, I need a job. And, you can, like, you can be like connected. So if you actually want the networking effects, you do the opposite, which is not networking. And you focus on actually making friends who you actually mutually like to be with. It's that simple. People don't seem to understand that. Or even, for example, let's say that, so I saw, uh, you know, I, so I wrote this essay and then I asked a friend to read it just to see what he thought. And he, one, like one of the things he mentioned is that what about some people who come from you know, like disadvantaged, like backgrounds or don't have that network of people or, or so on. And, you know, I told him it's an example. You know, I'm the perfect example of that. I moved to the U.S. four years ago, didn't know anyone, didn't know the language, didn't even know what email really was, right? I had an email, but I didn't really use it. And how I use email when I talk to, let's say, you know, I talk to people like, I don't know, like Mark Cuban or like Jeff Bezos and all these fancy people, right? And when I talk to them, I'm not trying to network with them either. Number one, learning from a future self or asking for help from, from those future help. So for instance, just, just a recent example, and I do this often, just a recent example. So recently, my, you know, for my website, I use this website builder and it recently expired. And it was a, you know, it was, you know, it costs a few, like it has a fee, like a yearly fee, right? And I couldn't really afford it, right? So what did I do? I just emailed the CEO of that company. Hey, I'm doing this thing. You know, I got this amount of views and this is what I'm doing. And I would really appreciate if you had any discount or anything. And he was like, yeah, of course. And he gave me a year for free and, and just started things. Like I wasn't like, hi, I want, I want to network with you. And then, then after you network with them, then you ask the thing that you want. But in reality is people are so busy. These people actually want to help you. And when you are genuine, when you are truthful, when you're not trying to network so you can like call them up and ask for a favor later, that's that's not that's not how it works. So this psychologist psychologist in you know best-selling book, a best-selling author, Adam Grant, wrote a book, Give and Take. And one of the things that he said is that if you actually want to have the, this networking effects, in order to have these networking effects, you don't go around trying to make the networking effects. They happen naturally and they happen if you almost like if you don't try. So it's sad because it's a sort of a societal mental virus, but uh, with any virus, it's something that you can attack. And hopefully what I'm saying here will find these people who have this virus and maybe they can change in how they see things. Because I think uh, beyond networking, beyond anything else, it's just about having these friendships with people that you actually want to be friends with. Because life is hard, life is tough, life is whatever. And when you have people around with you 
who you're friends because you actually just want to be friends with them. That's where you get to be closer to the human experience. So lovely. It, <laughs> uh, perfect. <laughs> I, I even needed to hear that. Just, okay. That gets me to a subject that I'd love to hear your thoughts on about this sense of agenda that's just constantly running through society that I think really damages our shared humanity. And that, that's really close to what you were just talking about. Do you see what I notice is that your generation has antenna for picking up on agenda. It just it seems like you know you're going to be. Do you think that your generation will be less easily manipulated by, for instance, the the giant corporations that are churning along, trying to keep our attention on social media and stuff? Do you think Do you think that's true that your generation's going to be more savvy about these these sort of picking up on agenda early and turning their backs on it? It's generally a hard question because since we grew up using them, it's sort of like inserted into us. So we don't really, we don't know what the world was before. So it's not like a new thing that was added onto us. It was already there. Because of that, it might be hard for us to actually realize and, and see what it's like. But I do think people are being more aware of what it does. And I see some people that um, are just being so distracted and they realize and they're able, sometimes they have the, the will to, Unstall this social media apps, and you know, sometimes they can't. Sometimes they're able to pull it through. What are some of the things that you can do? So you can do you start a YouTube channel. You can write essays. You can use programming in the power of computers to do something like a website people can use, or you can do a video game. Doesn't matter. Or generally doing things that maybe short term are not going to give you, you know, a hundred dollars. But long term, you can see the 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 outputs, right? The the example that I like to use to explain this more vividly is, for example, I'm in college, right? And the summer is coming. I have two options, of course, I have more, but generally two options. The option would be I just go to a a local supermarket and work there, forty hours a week, forty times ten, be four hundred. Easy, simple. That's totally okay. People want, which people would like to do that. That's amazing. But I generally think that because we have more options, we should probably look into this option a little bit more. And what are some of the things? Maybe you can do research. Maybe you can work on this little business idea you, that you had. You're not going to make a lot of money. And, if, and of course, if you need to make money, go and do whatever makes you money because you pay for what you need. But if you don't have that rush to like have the security of making X amount of money, then you have a little bit more freedom to do those things that have a greater output than your inputs. Because like the supermarket example, you're going to work 40 hours and your pay will be correlated to that. And the interesting thing is that when you do different things, like you, you, know, you, write, you make YouTube videos, you make videos, you write, an, you write online, you create this little business, you write a program that does anything, doesn't matter. Then you can see that, you're, that the, the curve will not be linear, it will be actually exponential. And that's where generally you want to be at. You want to be, you, you sort of want to be playing exponential games and necessarily the, the, um, the linear games that will, will always require you to be there no matter what. This is a very huge point just in business in general, Juan David, is that, you know, you don't want to create a business that's person dependent, that can only chug along or progress if you personally put in your time. The idea is to create a systems dependent business so that it can chug along with or without your input and the growth can be exponential. I love that that way that you put that. We can either put in 40 hours at the grocery store over 10 weeks and earn X amount of money, or we can take that 40 hours if we aren't desperate for the money and invest those 40 hours in something that brings us a long-term return like research or volunteering or what have you, right? Yeah, I would even say, you know, going back to the business thing, that if you need to be there, that's probably not a business. It's just a job in a sense. So. <laughs> okay. I love that. That is a great, that's a great point. It's probably not really a business. It's just another way of having a job. You have to be there. That's, that's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> okay. 
So this we're dangerously close to this other topic that we need to talk about. So we might as well dive into it. So in one of your newsletters, by the way, I should point out here that every single topic that Juan and David and I are visiting are topics that he has written about in this wonderful Sunday newsletter that he has. And then along with each topic, he gives some amazing link to some great place for even more clarity. So again, the newsletter is amazing. Okay, so tell us, last year, about exactly this time, all three of my college-age kids came home one week after another and were told not to return. So then what were they going to do for the summer? One had a beautiful internship in Poland that went belly up, on and on it went. And I started telling patients and everybody that would listen, hey, now's the time to help the world. People, anybody who with their worth their salt, uh, recruiters or hiring folks will someday say, what did you do with that year during the pandemic? And if you don't have anything to say, <laughs> I'm somebody like me is going to pass on to the next applicant. So I started pointing to, I wrote a great op-ed about this, which we'll also put in the, um, in the show notes, about the fact that this is the time, if there ever was a time to volunteer, to do on time, online volunteering, it is the time. And my kids were doing things like counting endangered species on the African plane from satellite in- images. They were helping identify children that had wound up in the gas chambers in the Nazi concentration camps. So they're their lives would not be forgotten. They, they found all these great volunteer programs. And in one of your newsletters, you talked about, you know, this is the time to, to do an internship. And you gave people all these links in engineering and so forth. So tell us your take on doing things that have a greater output than input as it relates to internships. Because I know there, there may be a lot of either students in, in your genre that would love this information or parents that would like their kids to feel like possibilities are endless, just as you point out. Before we do that, let's talk more a little bit more about what it means to think for yourself. What do you mean to think for yourself independently of others is about fully living and being true to who you are. With that in mind, let's talk about more with this topic of doing things like the internship or doing things that you would not normally do. It's probably take a little bit more effort to you to find, or maybe not even more effort. Just being with your eyes open. So we have these expectations of what we want to do. A lot of people, like a lot of my friends in college, summer, internship. And to be honest, these internships are pretty boring. A lot of them are pretty boring. A lot of them, people don't even care about what they're doing. Just, they just want to do it because they want to put it on their resume, because it looks good, and because whatever, whatever, whatever. And the thing is, you know, this looks, these internships and these things, it look very, um, oh, this is awesome, this whatever. Most people don't actually want to do it. Most people want to do different things. And I think um, the first is to ask yourself, okay, what do you actually want to do? What do you want to do? Because asking other people for, oh, what should I do? Or, or anything in general, when you ask other people in, the, in that sense, you will probably have made your first mistake because no one will know what you want. Remember, good advice is context specific. And you shouldn't be asking your parents, you shouldn't be asking your friends, you shouldn't be asking your counselors, professors, because the thing is, they want you to be successful, but they also don't want you to fail. And a lot of the things that you will do that will have a greater output will be risky and you may seem like you will fail. So that's why I don't ask for advice to like family, friends, advisors, because they always share the risks, but they don't always share the rewards. So always something that I think about, because you might think that your, your parents might want the best from you and they do, but they also don't want you to take risky or, or, or be living in, the, in their basement until you're like 60, right? So with that in mind, it's always about what you want and, and what you actually want to do, but also about think a little bit differently and finding those things that might seem a little weird, but that you actually like. For example, let's say you, you, you mentioned the, the example of the quarantine example. What do most people do? Like Netflix or social media and totally fine. I mean, great, a break. But for me, I mean, it was online, right? So I had, for me, it was great. You know, high school was over, even better. High school was, I mean, for me, just sitting there, kind of a waste of time. So I went crazy. I worked with a professor on a book. I, over the summer, I did like three programs. I went up with Google. I learned about the history of technology. I taught myself like a programming language called Python, all the way to like machine learning and AI. It was great. I was, I was going crazy because I had so much time and had so much things to do. That was awesome, right? And, but even that, 
I one of my guests I tell the story of how back in 2018 I had a couple. It was a it was what sophomore in high school. So I went to this sort of incubator in Chicago, right? And it's called TechStars. So I go in there, and there's like all these founders, these companies, super exciting companies. So I go in there, and I go, "Hi, I'm Juan David, and I'm looking for an internship. I'm willing to work for free. I just want to be here. I can do anything you want. Done." So most people look at me. Okay, what what, what does this kid can do for me? This is just high school kid. What does he know, right? Most people. That's what he says. But there were there was one guy specifically who said, "Wow, this guy just really speaks about who he is." His name was Paul. And Paul, he looked at me. Okay, let's, let's give you a job. And for free, of course, wasn't making any money. It was funny because I was actually paying to go. I had to pick up the train from my city to this to Chicago. I had to pay for food. I was paying about like ten bucks every day just to go work for them. Crazy, crazy, right? But I was willing to do it because I wanted to learn more about startups and how they work and just meeting people. I was able to meet like the governor. I was able to meet uh, the founder, like Spotify, like crazy people. And of course, I had to pay for that because the train, the food. I had to like feed myself or like get there. And, and what did they do, one David? Why did you get to meet the governor? All that. What was there? Their genre? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, this incubator had uh, meetings, right? With like investors and so on. And, and these people would go and like be like the men- their mentors and, and used to like invest or like get, get whatever. So people, just a bunch of like crazy people, like super smart people would go in there and like give talks or like, and I actually for one of my jobs, right, was going to these meetings and just take notes. And that was like the perfect thing for me because I wanted to learn. And I didn't really care about like, oh, actually doing stuff. I just wanted to like see what it's like, understand the whole picture and even met a couple of people. And I think um, I actually met one of the, a guy who like even ran for major at the city, right? He's like insane, right? And of course, when you tell people, oh, you have to pay to get there. Most people would not do it. But when you know that you actually want, when I knew that I actually wanted that, of course, it doesn't matter. I can, I, I'll pay money. It doesn't matter. So why am I saying this? So yeah, so I did this thing this summer. Time went by. I, you know, I always keep in touch with people who, you know, who helped me and just like following up with them because that's a way to show them how grateful I was and I am with them. And I would talk to him and you know, I was, I was like, we'll call him and, and so on. And that guy, Paul, actually went to the same college that I went and actually was in the same major. And it was so serendipitous to the point where he was in the exact same place, exact same thing, same major, everything, same idea of what he wanted to do. And that's where the idea of future self comes in. If I don't really find mentors, I don't really find anything like that. I find future selves. And future selves are these people who are where you were, who are where you wanted to be, but where you are at this point. Because then these people can pull the, the dots together, like what um, Steve Jobs um, said. Like, like you can only put the dots together by looking backwards. So it's a long story, but uh, that's the only way I think. All right. So just to have clarity, one of the things that you said that I really loved was when you know what you actually want, then I'm not sure how you finish that sentence exactly, but it seems to elevate the value of what you were spending to get it. Right. You're not even knowing what you want. You're just having a rough idea. And you feel it. Like when you have those things that you're just generally interested in doing, not because it seems prestigious, not because someone told you, because you're generally, for some reason, you're like generally interested or curious about the things. Like if you have two options, one is like more prestigious and the other is less prestigious, but you're both interested in them, you should probably do the less prestigious one because that means you're probably more interested in the other one. So. Oh, that's so great. Okay. We're going to talk more about curiosity in just a minute. I'm going to take a break to share with our audience this incredible thing that Ever Widening Circles has just launched. You know, we realize in our work sharing the work of thought leaders all around the world, that each one of us is just a little point of light out there in quite a darkness (laughs) where where there's a lot of negative noise. And we've just launched the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. So people who are doing good in the world can find each other. So we'll cut to a break where I talk a little bit about that. And then we'll come back and we'll pick it right up with Juan David. And you can keep sharing some of your great early wisdom with us. Thanks. Do you thrive on learning from and collaborating with others for the good that's in the world? And becoming a better version of yourself, both personally and professionally, every day? We have built something just for you. 
the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. You can be a part of the first networking platform that prioritizes personal and professional growth as we work together to make the world a better place. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a vetted platform of entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals who are committed to making the future brighter for us all. People like you. On the network, you can ask questions and find help with projects, share trusted resources, request and attempt workshops, expand your network of thought leaders, and learn from the experience of others to catalyze your work, interests, and passion projects. This is a place where All of us who are doing something to improve the world, large and small, can flourish. The $35 a month membership fee includes attendance to exclusive monthly happiness hours, where you can hear from amazing speakers and influencers. It includes participation in monthly community challenges that will improve your own life and the world around you. You'll have access to the network's mentor match service to grow exponentially in your insight, and decision-making. And you'll get automatic discounts on all of our courses and events. So join us, co-conspirators for goodness around the world. Those who are doing anything they can to make the world a better place are coming together on this network to collaborate, and it is time we find each other. Go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com for a simple three-step questionnaire to apply to be a member today. Let's connect, collaborate, and change the future. Okay, we're back. So Juan David, a moment ago, you were sharing with us a lot of things that revolve around curiosity, the concept of curiosity. And I get the feeling that you have really taken a great deal of time to sort out exactly what your time is worth and curiosity and following your curiosity sounds like it's pretty high in the list. Yes. And one of the hardest things to do that is generally follow, following your curiosity because we live in a very globalized, homogeneous world where it's hard to be authentic and, and have your own like curiosities, right? So something I always try to do. And, and like I said, if something seems curious to you, it probably means something. So... Go to the Wikipedia rabbit hole and just read more and go to YouTube, doesn't matter. But if something seems interesting or curious, just take a few seconds and maybe try to understand why it's it's interesting. Well, it sounds like you did that. I want to just get a quick little piece of advice before I shift to this next curiosity-related topic I, I had written down. You know, in in my office, a lot of my patients learn that I'm doing ever-widening circles and that I've got all these media platforms and working so hard to reveal to the world that what we see on the internet is just a tiny slice of reality. And what the world actually is, is, is much better than what we see there. And a lot of times I'll be, people say, well, I don't know what you mean. And I'll tell them six stories from the conspiracy of goodness, six people doing the most incredible things in the world that no one is talking about. And they'll say, how do you know what's true? Or how they, people have really, a lot of people have lost the ability to, for instance, you mentioned, oh, I'll go to YouTube and I'll research it there or what have you. What do you use as a litmus test for knowing what's worth your time? What's created with some agenda and what's not? What's true and what's not? Can you give us any thoughts on that? Um, something I've been thinking a lot about, like more about the how we've lost sort of the objective truth of the world and how this affected a lot of the things that happened, like in, still in 2020 with all the protests and the violence and all the things that happened like last semester. And a lot, of the, a lot of that has to do with the sort of the loss of objective truth. So how do I know what you find or what you do? I think something to keep in mind, I think generally people are nicer than you think and don't have this agenda or anything like that. Because a lot of these people don't have that incentive to do that, right? It's all about incentives, right? So when you understand that people are driven and a lot of people do things because of incentives, then you can see what incentives people could have. Why do most people make videos on YouTube? Why? A lot of people, first, they make videos on YouTube because they see that they could share something um, interesting. And the other way is that because if these people want to do something a little bit more outside of the box, they could actually make a living out of YouTube. 
And again, I'm talking about very specific type of YouTube channels. I'm not talking about all these crazy things that you might be thinking of. I'm talking about, for example, I know the channel, it's called Real Engineering. I love Real Engineering. That's a great channel. Talks about these engineering things and how certain things work. How do I know that this is true? Can I know? Probably not. I'm not saying you can probably trust 100% what this guy is saying, but you can. it could be a way for you to have sort of a perspective of what you know and what you do after. Because you shouldn't have your framework of belief based upon random people anywhere, anytime. Whether, you just, whether it is on YouTube or whether it is your mentor, your friend, your family. It's all it's all the same, right? Or there are other channels like Wendover Productions. They do really interesting stuff about how things work, like how does the Amazon supply change work or how does F1 teams go and, and ship their, their cars. What's so, that one called? I think I've run into that one too. Wendover Productions? Wendover, yes, Wendover. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, so stuff like that, right? Like I'm not going to this random channel that, that you know, is telling me about you should invest or do X, Y, and Z. Or, I, that's not generally the YouTube I'm in. I'm generally in a different YouTube, right? The YouTube of like interviews or just hearing interesting ideas. So that's probably why I have a different perspective on YouTube or, or stuff like that because I'm not like I'm not interested in and, and and also the other thing in my YouTube my computer I also don't have the the the, like the algorithm thing so I turned that off so when I go to YouTube it's a what it's a black screen so when I go on YouTube I actually just do things that I actually want to do so that's something also interesting because I'm not being like distracted by like what YouTube thinks I should watch and of course I use a different browser when I when I see what the, the algorithm is recommending it because it's pretty good as well. So, so I think it, I think it comes back to something I've learned too, because you know, that's what we do at ever widening circles. We're essentially curating the goodness that can be found on the internet. Once you wade through all the craziness and what, when we look at a video, we assess whether we can use it and refer other people to it by how little agenda there actually is. And it's interesting, the two that you picked to refer to, <laughs> there's, there's little or zero agenda with those two channels. You know that they're just people giving out knowledge. That's it. There's very little going on there in the way of selling or some course they're launching or anything like that. There's just nothing to imply agenda. They're not trying to change the way you think or believe or what have you. So I think that's a good, that's a really good way of thinking. And that leads us to something you you are trying to think about these days too, I usually call it critical thinking. And you were referring to it earlier about thinking for yourself. Talk to us a little bit about that as we kind of near the end of our conversation. What are your thoughts on how you cultivate that ability to think for yourself? Think for yourself. It's one of the ideas that that just makes you see the world in a sense of, it's a filter of how to, to see the world. It's a filter to do things in, in you said, generally, I think of, when I think about how to think for yourself, I always think of first, like, I think generally speaking, I, I would say it's always number one, what do you want? Like, what do you actually want to do? And again, I've said this like question for like 10 times in this thing, but it's something that most people don't know, right? So like, what do you want? And then the second thing, after you know that, after you know, like what you want in your ideals and what you things that you think and how you see the world, then everything will make so much sense. Like for instance, let's say that, um, again, I'm in this college environment, so people are thinking of like, like clubs or whatever. So let me give you like very, like probably very uh, dumb example, right? But so when people are in college or in high school, people usually do, they do clubs and programs or what have you, right? Why, why do people do those things? Because that's what they're supposed to do. That's because they think that's, it looks in the resume, it looks good or whatever. So they do that. Even though, even though it's, you know, it kills your soul, it's just boring. People don't even like to go there. People are just like robots in there. And like, to, so I, to me, I don't, I don't go. I just do things that I actually want to do. But people just go in there and it's like, oh, I'm doing this because, oh, it will be important. I'm not sure. And then other people say, oh, it's a way to meet people, which is valid, right? But when you're just being a robot in there, you're not going to meet people. So the other thing too, another story, right? I was talking to this guy, he's a friend. He was doing this. So everyone here, so there's this like business minor thing that is like prestigious or whatever. And they like super like, they have like a super low acceptance rate. So people are like very like, 
people are very, oh, I want to do this because it looks good, networking effect. And just to like, just to like do things for like in the future, when people are offering you or like advertising you something because of networking, that's probably something to avoid because they, they probably don't have much to offer. So, but, but anyway, back to the story. So he said, I was doing this. So I asked him, oh, why are you doing it? Oh, you know, I'm doing engineering, but I also want to do, I like to talk to people and whatever. So I asked him, do engineers not talk to people? He's like, oh, yeah. And then, okay, so what else? Oh, because of networking. They connect you with companies and whatever. And then I asked him, what do you want to do after you graduate? Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing chemical engineering and I want to work in, you know, improving the fuel of the rockets. Uh, interesting. And do you think the business minor will help you? And yeah, not really. So why are you doing it? He's like, yeah, I don't know. And then, so I, I was, I was like, yeah, I mean, it's totally fine. You should probably think about, you know, doing a physics minor or, or, or something related to rocket fuel because if you actually want to do that, why are you doing something that you don't even want to do just because it looks good? So it backs your idea. Thinking for yourself is basically about knowing what you want and seeing that world, seeing the world through those lenses while also being able to to adapt with when new evidence shows up because people may often um, misinterpret that being being thinking for yourself is often when being close-minded but in reality when new evidence shows up that you're wrong then you you, you should change so that's lovely and and you know I, I think that the way many people would think of your question in terms of their own lives is you know if what do you want is to spend more time with your children is to be able to do more outdoor stuff than be constantly stuck answering your emails. You know, that what do we want is, is a really simple question, but I don't think most of us are answering it and then making our lives fit that answer. I think that's a lovely piece of advice. And I love your adapt with new evidence too. I mean, yeah, I mean, of course, because you're not going to be right 100%. Like you're not, you're not going to be right. It's almost guaranteed that you will be wrong. And that's why you should be able to, when new evidence shows up, you should be able to, to change. Not only what you think, but what other people, what other smart people think. I mean, with those two things, you can generally get what the true perception might be. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to ask before we close out, because I, well, there's two things I want to point out to folks is that, for instance, on my screen over here, we're not going to get a little, very much time to talk about it. But Juan is, Juan David is offering us information on such a such a nice diverse background i love an article that you added to one of your newsletters called the story story of the science behind the covid19 vaccine you must have gone down quite a rabbit hole there at some point and you get you give us just you know just one two three four five sentences and then you can read the article here it comes upon a wonderful article that he felt really, really good about that he shares with us. You just literally go and answer the questions you're asking yourself. That's part of critical thinking too, right? So briefly, so I am, so somebody in the newsletter actually knows I'm really interested in science and engineering and so on. So this person actually sent me the, this article and she was like, oh, take a look at this. So wonderful article. And I'm also doing like research, somewhat similar to what this person was doing. And, you know, I'm just interested, right? So I, I asked, so I actually go and email her. It was a bad email, just looking back. But she was kind enough to reply. And she was like, uh, so I, I just wanted to understand why she did that. Okay, so researching how, like what, like what are some of the areas that would be worth looking at, right? Because when you're starting out, you don't know. So she actually, um, she actually replied and she was really kind enough. You know, she said, study hard, you know, think deeply about the world. And then you'll see things to be researching you, like they'll show up to you. Like they'll, they'll, they'll become visible to you. And those are, like, those are the things that you can just email the people, like the primary sources, right? And just know what the story is. And of course, I had a, a question that she can only answer. But if it was a question about how she developed the mRNA vaccine, I could have just gone to the research paper. So it's also like not an asking like easy question just to look for the folks of networking. It's asking questions that it's nowhere else and something that they can only answer because people are busy. You don't want to bother them. Mm-hmm. That's that's a really, really good piece of advice too. Right. So to wrap up here, Juan David, I want people to know where they can connect with you at. We'll put anything you'd like in the show notes so people connect with your work. They can help expand what you're doing and 
offer to help? Where, where can people find you and connect? The first thing is joining uh, to our weekly memos, which is like the, the weekly newsletter I send every Sunday. And that's the best way to know what I'm doing, what I'm thinking. And, and that's the best way you can hear and, and read to the similar topics that we talked about today in a weekly basis. And if you don't like it, but I'm sure you will, you can always unsubscribe. So no pressure. You know, I don't know if I've told you this, but you're responsible for a really terrific morning that my husband and I had in Juan, Juan David's newsletter, I don't know, a couple of months ago, you <laughs> you shared that you had all these great thoughts after you watched the movie Soul. And Dr. Chuck and I sat down at 1030 that Sunday morning, right after we got your newsletter. And I thought, if it's good enough for Juan David, and he, it inspired all these thoughts, then it's good enough for us. And we sat there in our pajamas and watched that movie straight through at 1030 on a Sunday morning after your recommendation. And it changed everything. For us, the way we were thinking, we're not in retirement mode yet at all. But it really made us think about what we've been driving at all this time and what we want to spend the rest of our working life driving at it fundamentally that that small disney movie fundamentally changed that so these are the kind of insights that Juan david are sharing you just never know what you're going to find in that newsletter and i can't thank you enough Juan david for sharing your thoughts with us it's a real pleasure to know you and and i hope to keep helping whatever I can, your movement and whatever you're um, up to along as I go as well. For me, I mean, the, the honor is mine. So thank you so much for your support and for reading the emails every week, because I'm sure they're not great all the time, but um, you're always there. You're always at support and just how I can improve so I can keep doing what I'm doing, which is finding ways to find, to inspire people to be more optimistically, but also curiously ambitious. So up curiously ambitious. I just love that. I love that. Okay. So I always end my interviews by asking people, you know, at ever widening circles, our byline is ever widening circles. It is still an amazing world. So off the top of your head, what proves to you that it's still an amazing world one, David? Still an amazing world. Despite the negative noise out there, what proves to you that is still an amazing world? You know, something that I always think about is that most people die from Getting too much and getting too little. Most people die from, from you know, for from like car accidents and diseases, and just little things like that that are, is actually becoming a problem. Like it's a sort of a self inflict. There are more self inflicted problems than actual problems we couldn't do much about. So, and that gives us a lot of agency in shaping our own future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Juan David. You know, for information about anything that we talked to, and we did write a lot down through this interview, you probably saw me looking down. I was writing furiously to keep track of all the great things that Juan David referred us to books and podcasts and interviews and links to his writing. They're all going to be down in the show notes, so you can find them there. And please go review this podcast for us. If you rate and review this podcast, we will keep climbing the ladder and more and more people will know we exist. Right now, we're just in the 25, the top 25% of podcasts in the world by numbers of downloads. And that is super exciting. But I think we're sharing the kind of insight and joyful, courageous inspiration here that can do a lot of good in a lot of people's lives. And thanks to our affiliate partners for proving it's still an amazing world. You can find their information down below in, in the show notes as well. And or by visiting everwideningcircles.com backslash partners. So remember that you can always check out the Conspiracy of Goodness Network where you can find people like Juan David, like me, like all the thought leaders that you find on Everwinding Circles who are trying to make the world a better place. The more we can come together, the more we can be multipliers for that kind of energy. And as always, dive into Everwinding Circles, where you'll find that it is still an amazing world. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Talk to you next.